Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. So those words came directly from Marvin Gaye's own experience. His brother Frankie arrived back from the Vietnam War and his outlook had totally changed. And so Marvin decided to put himself in his brother's shoes and uh, he wrote those lines that have so resonated with, it's really pricked our conscience as Americans. The song was released in 1971 and it sold over 2 million copies. Now, here's what's amazing about that. That was long before digital streaming services like Apple Music or Spotify. It so captured the, the heart and the vivid imagination of us as Americans because it spoke of the culture of that time period. Many of you remember those days. M many of you remember that time period. And here's the thing. Not much has changed, has it? Not much has changed when we think about what's going on in our world. That's why that song still has legs because of what you saw on the screens. It still begs the question, how do we bring some love into our world? Now, I know you know that God just doesn't love, but God is love. It's his very character. It's his nature. And I think you would agree with me that our world needs to, to be transformed, needs to encounter God's love so that people just like you and me can be transformed and can heal from all of the hurt that is in our lives and our world today. We need his love. So today, we're going to take a hard look. We're going to go deep, a deep dive into some of the things that divide us in our culture. Things like all the isms and specifically racism. We're going to look and we're going to try to tune into this so that as we look at Jesus, as the Holy Spirit makes Jesus come alive as a barrier-breaking Jesus, as a resurrected Lord and Savior, here's what he wants to do in us. He wants us to be empowered and equipped so that we can go into our world and do the same thing. But, but before we go into the content of the message today, I want you to check out this video. A rebel took to the streets. He recruited others to join him. They quit their jobs, left their families, and swore allegiance to him. They roamed the hood, challenged authority, and made a lot of people uneasy. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. Law enforcement labeled them outlaws. We have to shut them down, they said. Get them off the streets. Protect our communities from these troublemakers but they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love. So when you saw that video, what did you think? Did you have this sense of concern or suspicion? Maybe a twinge of fear and you thought, man, I sure won't want to be that person walking down the street and seeing those people. Well, interestingly enough, the producers actually made a decision to select cast that we as viewers would automatically 
they would kind of elicit a sense of judgment. But if you were to rewatch that video while people are running down an alley or hopping a fence or hanging out together, there's nothing illegal or immoral that they are doing. My point is this, that viewers have been conditioned by society to make assumptions that a certain demographic of society are up to no good, probably doing something illegal or criminal. And the conditioning that that we all are a part of, this conditioning is based primarily in fear, and it results in, in stereotypes that are perpetuated down through the generations. Enter the term prejudice. Now, friends, can we all admit that we all have prejudices? Some are positive and some are negative. But before we go any further, let's quickly define terms. So, if you're jotting notes or you want to access notes, you can go on our mobile app and go to This Weekend under Message Notes or go to Version, and you can search Pathways Church and find the notes here. You'll have all the definitions, all of the content and scripture verses. If you just like to take notes, we'll put them on the screens for you. So the definition of prejudice. A, a prejudice is a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. For example, here's a positive prejudice that all teachers, are helpful. When I think of teachers, I think as all teachers, they're just helpful. Except Mrs. Clues, my 10th grade Algebra 2 teacher. She was mean and she was a smoker. So, Adam, uh. But I loved her because I learned Algebra 2 and she was pretty amazing. She's a very sophisticated woman, but boy, she had that smoker's cough working. You know what I'm talking about? She'd walk out of the teacher's lounge into our room and it's like, oh man, Mrs. Clues, chain smoking. Anyways, Generally, though, we have a, a, a positive impression of, of teachers. They're, they're helpful. Or airline pilots, we judge them and we think, well, they're safety conscious, right? And it's hard not to judge. It's hard not to do life and have these prejudgments. Why? Because we're wired to walk into a space or see a group of people and automatically have some generalizations or, or some or some outlooks on who people are and situations. And we do this because we want to predict and simplify and categorize life to make life more manageable. But the problem arises, and you know this, the problem arises is when those negative opinions that are not based on fact or actual experience, when those negative opinions begin to cast all of those people a certain way. When they begin to say, all those people do things like that. For example, we'll say things like perhaps, you know, old people always deal with memory loss or all women are irrational. Okay? These are friends, the isms. These are genderism or, or sexism or it is classism. It's a way that we judge and these are extremely damaging and Jesus Christ stood against all of the ism, including the most extreme form, which is known as racism. So today we're in part two of a series, You Get Me. Last week, if you missed the content, the message, I would refer you to YouTube or to our website. Check it out. We talked about politics this week. We're going to talk about, about uh, racism. And then next week, we're going to discuss sexuality. Now, if we look at this extreme form of racism, what is racism? Well, another definition. Racism is the belief that different races 
possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as either inferior, less than, or superior to one another, to another race. And racism results in an unequal distribution of power and opportunity. Now, racism has been a part of our history in America. Whether we're talking about slavery or Jim Crow or the civil rights movement or more recent topics like critical race theory, these are just a few that serve as flash topics which, which just are awaiting fuel and the perfect match to be lit because man, they are explosive. And I know this, and you know this, that this conversation is swirling just beneath the surface. Just because the George Floyd murder and that whole fiasco took place, which was so, so evil, because that's no longer on the front page, doesn't mean that racism and this topic is not being discussed. And more than that, racism, friends, is the most demonic form of dividing and dehumanizing people. Racism is rooted in sin. As I've talked about it from this stage before, racism is not a, a skin issue, it's a sin issue. It's a sin issue because the enemy loves to divide people because where there is division, it's the seedbed for disagreement. And where disagreement takes place, therein lies conflict. Conflict between God's created people who he desires to live in harmony and love under the banner of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, and yet the enemy wants to divide and distract and destroy us. So the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. See, Racism cannot be cured by some over-the-counter drug. You can't drink enough NyQuil to change your racist attitudes. It requires invasive heart surgery where the Holy Spirit himself transforms your heart from a hard stone heart to a heart of flesh. And if you zoom out, not just our American experience, but for context, racism and bigotry and discrimination and slavery have been a part of human history for all of time. All forms, all people groups have experienced bigotry and racism and enslavement. It is an ugly sin that has infiltrated and crossed cultures and continents from the beginning of time. That's why it is so dangerous, demonic, and sickening to the heart of God. It's as Dr. Martin Luther King said in the early 60s that one of the travesties of our American experience is that the most segregated hour is on a Sunday morning during worship. But I'm so happy and so proud of our church community at Pathways Church because when I come to church at 8.30, when I come to church at 10 o'clock, when I see people in our community who are Pathways strong, I see people of all different colors, all different classes, all different ages, and all different genders, and it gives me hope that we are making a difference. It gives me hope that God is being glorified through our little peace here in Appleton, Wisconsin. It makes me believe and it makes me see that the kingdom of God is breaking through because isn't that our prayer that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth, in our church as it is 
in heaven. So today, what I wanna do is I wanna give you God's view on race so that you better understand you and so that you better understand what's out there when you go out there to bring God's healing love across the racial divide. Are you ready? So, three of you are, fantastic. (laughs) Buckle up, we got another 20 minutes, friends. And I ran late last service, so if you don't get it, we're gonna be here to one. (laughs) All right, so let me just give you three foundational truths before we jump into a Jesus story, which creates a path forward for us as Jesus followers, okay? Let me give you three foundational truths. First is this, race is not a biblical term. You will not find the word race in either the Hebrew or the Greek. It is not a biblical term. Race is not a category that has any biblical or even scientific basis. It is a sociological word, a created category used to establish a caste system of power and domination. In modern day history, this category of race was heavily influenced by Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution. And I would direct you to a resource written by Ken Ham and Charles Ware called One Race, One Blood. He does a fantastic, they do a fantastic job of laying this down in secular humanism and this idea of race. So the first foundational truth is that race is not a biblical term, which leads us to the question then, what's the question? What is God's term? for race. God's term is ethnicity. Ethnicities are, is, is God's word for people groups. And I put people groups in parentheses there specifically because God sees groups of people, ethnicities created by God as a people group who move together and develop over time, over history. There's a group identity that forms, a heritage, a language, a place. So whether you are Caucasian and from Germania, or perhaps you, uh, like my descendants from the Ukraine, and my mother came from from Germany, uh, her family. So we have, or from Africa, or from uh, South America, whatever continents, the heritage and the culture and the language, and even the skin tone and shades begin to develop. But God's word, ethnicities, is not about power and domination. So from a biblical view, when God looks from holy heaven and he looks at our world, imagine this. It's like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect unity are looking down and he's seeing all, he's seeing a vast array, like a kaleidoscope of color. Friends, God is not color blind. God is colored blessed because he's created all of us in his image and we're all worthy of dignity and honor and respect. And so God looks down and he sees all these people groups and he says, oh, my heart beats fast and hard for every single person. But the problem is that every single person is stained with sin. And so Jesus has to come on a rescue mission. This is the way the apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter two. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's a barrier breaker, friends. 
by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So Jesus is the great reconciler. He's our peace. He breaks the barrier between people groups. In fact, if you do a deep dive on Ephesians chapter two, it talks about the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews as one ethnicity and Gentiles, well, that's everybody else in the New Testament. That's everybody else. Every other shade of skin, every other culture, what Paul is saying between Jews and everybody else. Why Jews? Because Jewish people were the chosen people in the Old Testament to represent God. They didn't do the best job. They were rebellious and stiff-necked. And so God called them back to repentance, to repentance, to repentance. But even in the Old Testament, listen up, God's plan, his sovereign plan was for all people to know and to love him because one day Messiah would come and his name is Jesus Christ. And he would be a light to the Gentiles. So Paul says that dividing wall of hostility is broken down. Now, fast forward to eternity. Let me give you a, a dream, a vision, a picture of what God wants to do in eternity. Are you ready? It's found in the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And this is what John the Revelator writes. He sees this vision. After, I have, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Notice it doesn't say race, does it? Standing before where? The throne and before the lamb. Who is the lamb? Jesus. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Verse 10 says this. And they cried out in a loud voice. Now imagine Every nation, every people, every language, every tribe cries out in a loud voice and says this, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's heaven. That's heaven where we worship God together. So, the first foundational truth is that race is not a biblical term. Ethnicity is God's term for people groups. Here's the third truth. The third foundational truth is this. As American pastor Darwin Gray puts it this way, we as the church of Jesus Christ, we represent the future in the present. What do I mean by that? We take a piece, a foretaste of heaven, and we are now given the ministry of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians 5, I believe, where we are given this message of reconciliation to put out to the world today that is so desperately seeking unity, we now have the cure and the answer to unity in the church of Jesus Christ. And that's not primarily through our belief system. It's actually through our relational system between different genders and colors and classes and people because we are one in Christ. Whenever your identity, whenever your, your ethnic group defines you first before the noun of Christian, you've gotten it backwards. You're not a white Christian or a brown Christian or a black Christian. You are a Christian who is black. You are a Christian who is white. You are a Christ follower. What the world struggles with is finding unity outside of something that's unifying. And the only thing that is unifying in our world is that Jesus Christ 
came to die for all people so that all people could be reconciled back to the Father. So we have the privilege of representing the future in the present. But how? It's hard. It takes work. It's not primarily done in sermons and speeches. It's done in trenches and around tables. It's done in ministries. It's done in conversations. It's done in taking our heart and laying it at the altar and saying, God, what is in there? What from my past? Where did I learn these prejudices? Or where I've been hurt and offended and traumatized? Because regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your upbringing, there's a lot of hurt and pain when it comes to this very issue. But I'm so thankful that we have Jesus. And I'm so thankful that we have Jesus who sets for us an example. So here's what I want to do with the time that remains. I want to go and look at a passage of scripture in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is an interesting story. This is a barrier-breaking story that gives us a path forward. Let me set context for you. In John chapter 4, Jesus' star is on the rise, meaning he's becoming famous. Why do we know this? Because verse number 1 says this. Jesus is now baptizing more individuals than John the Baptist. When you're baptizing more people than the Baptist, you know you're the man. <laughs> so Jesus, he leaves Judea and he goes up to Galilee. Now, let me give you quick geography. First, let me take you to the scripture. Verse four says this. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Quick geographical lesson. Judea's here in the south. Galilee is in the north. Guess what is in between Judea and, and, and Galilee? Bingo, Samaria. A good Orthodox Jew would always go around Samaria, never through Samaria. In fact, Jesus sent his disciples to go buy food because they weren't yet ready to pass through Samaria because what Jesus was gonna do was so barrier-breaking and family-making and so revelatory that their little brains and hearts couldn't handle it quite yet. This is John chapter four. This isn't John 18. It's not John 19. This is not John 20 when he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is when they're like, this guy is no ordinary rabbi. He's dope. We don't know who he is. So Jesus is like, I'm gonna go through Samaria. And while he goes through Samaria, verse six tells us this. That Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? All right, so let's uh, look here for a second. What's taking place? Did you notice that they had given John, the writer of the gospel, gave a name to the well? What's the name of the well? Jacob. Jacob. This is Jacob's bubbler. If you're online, you're like, what? A who? A bubbler? I know. Nine years ago when I moved here, I was like, hey, where's the water fountain? They were like, what? What are you talking about? I said, you know, you know, the water fountain. They said, oh, the bubbler. Oh, the bubbler. So if you're watching from another state here in Wisconsin, we call them bubblers. And this bubbler that Jesus passed by is Jacob's bubbler. It's a big deal. Now, why is it Jacob's bubbler? 
because this bubbler was significant both to Jews and to Samaritans. Let me give you a little history. The Samaritans, that ethnic group, began in 722 BC when the Jews, God's people, were being punished and they were taken to Assyria. What had happened was once they were released, the Assyrians had some Jews stay there and some Assyrians went back to where the Jews were located. And God said to his people, make sure you don't intermarry. What do you think they did? They intermarried. When you intermarry, you have babies. And when you have babies, you have a new ethnic group known as the Samaritans. And see, Jews would never even pass through Samaria, here comes the slur, because they would call them Samaritan dogs, half-breeds, part Jewish, part Assyrian. They're not the true people of God. And yet Jesus goes through, and what does he do? He asks for a drink of water. What is he doing? He's finding agreement between this woman and himself. Everybody gets thirsty. So Jesus looks for agreement. The first barrier-breaking practice that you and I need to have when we walk out in our world and we start having these conversations about the, the, the racial divide is look for agreement. You're human and I'm human. You get thirsty, I get thirsty. You bleed, I bleed. We all have the same basic needs to be known, to be loved, to find purpose and identity. Look for agreement. What does Jesus do? He goes to the very well that he knows that she's at because that well is one of her spiritual daddies, Jacob. And he says, I know Jacob too. He's important to me. You like some Jacob? I like some Jacob too. You're thirsty, I'm thirsty. Can I get a drink? He finds agreement. 60% of water, what's it do? Makes up our bodies. See, if we don't find agreement, if we don't look to have conversations, you know what will end up happening? We, ended up, we end up disagreeing and dividing and going back to our separate corners and our echo chambers, and we all just listen to what we need to listen to to support our points. But Jesus says, man, I want to look for agreement. It's one of the reasons as a church, this Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to have a race form. Why? Because we want to sit around tables and we want to have these conversations. It's easy for somebody to get up and preach to you, but for you to do the work, to sit around the word and the spirit and say, hey, what has your experience been like? What does that look like? You can register, sign up on our mobile app. We're so excited about this because of who God is creating us as a church here at Pathways. This diversity is a God thing, and we can thank him for that. This is what he has done, and me as the pastor, I feel like God wants us to continue to pour into this because this is a shaping, earth-shattering kind of truth and reality for our world today. When somebody walks in, I've heard on numerous occasions and says, I feel like I'm known here. I feel like I'm walking. I see my people group here. I see brown here. I see black here. I see white here. I feel safe and secure here. It's one of the reasons that we want to do the race form. Look at verse nine with me. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Parenthetically, for uh, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now let's pause here. Before I go on, let's think about this. Here's the question. How did the woman know that he was Jewish? Jesus never revealed to her that he was Jewish. He simply came up to her and said, hey, can I have a drink? 
So that tells me this, that he sounded Jewish and he looked Jewish and he dressed Jewish. He was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. She's shocked. She's thinking, why would you even talk to me? Why would you associate with me? My point is this, think about it this way. Jesus didn't stop being Jewish to reach out to someone else with his love who was not Jewish. He didn't forfeit his ethnicity to identify with the Samaritan woman, but he also didn't let his ethnicity get in the way of what his father called him to do, and that was to reconcile all people back to the father's heart. See, God doesn't call you to forfeit your ethnicity, your heritage, your background. He doesn't call you to be colorblind. He calls you to be color blessed to say, yes, and this I can add and talk and we can find agreement because there is, that's unity in Jesus Christ. And Jesus models this. And not only does he model this, he breaks another barrier down. He breaks the barrier of gender down because he's talking to a woman which a Jew would never talk to a woman like that unless there were other people around. So it's not only ethnic barriers uh, that he's breaking down, he's also breaking down gender barriers. Now, you have to notice, Jesus hasn't said anything about the Bible yet. He hasn't preached to her. He hasn't said a word. Uh, Jesus, he's just relating to her. Just a simple request that shocked her. She's thinking to herself, a Jew who's willing to put his lips on my cup? See, friends, his sociology set the stage for his theology. He was about to do the second barrier-breaking practice. It laid the groundwork for his invitation into something deeper. Now I want to press you in this moment because I see a lot of people who want to tell other people about Jesus, but they're not willing to sit down and drink from the same cup. I want to get your soul to heaven, but I just don't want to deal with you on earth because it's too much work because we're too different because I'm not sure I can understand you and I don't know your heritage and your food smells different than mine and your language and your, your, your traditions, they make me feel uncomfortable. But I'll tell you about the four spiritual laws and write out the little bridge and you can say the prayer with me, but I just don't wanna, I don't wanna drink from the same cup. It's too complicated. Friends, can I ask you, was the cross too complicated for Jesus Christ? So, she can't believe that he asked for this drink. Verse 10, Jesus said, listen, listen, listen. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she's like, what? Here's the second barrier-breaking practice. If you look for agreement, then you need to spot and identify and learn how to transition to the spiritual exactly what Jesus was doing. He was saying, I needed, a, I needed a drink of water, but now I want to talk about the water that I'm about to give you that leads to spiritual life. In other words, it plays out this way. Yeah, I know you're thirsty. I know you have some problems in your life, but I know somebody that can really hear and listen and empathize, but someone who can heal your problems. Really? You know a healer of problems? I sure do. It's a quick transition. That's what Jesus does. He says, if you knew who you were asking, I'd give you the living waters. 
He transitions to the spiritual. He says this in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What do you think this woman is feeling and thinking in this moment? She's like, oh, shucks. Of course I would love this water. At noon? For free? That's for me. I'll have a sip of this water. And then Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. (laughs) He just transitioned from can I have something to drink to who she's sleeping with. Hey, go call your husband. She's like, "Uh, I, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you don't have a husband. In fact, he says it this way. The text says, uh, in fact, verse 18, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. She said, what you've just said is quite true. Savage Jesus. That's not even Christian Jesus. Why are you gonna call her out like this? His sociology, his agreement with her humanity led to his theology a spiritual conversation about this water that would well up to eternal life. And now he wants to transition to his ontology. What's ontology? Ontology is a big hoity-toity $3 term I learned in seminary, okay? Ontology essentially means your nature, who you really are. See, Jesus was about to reveal himself to the Samaritan woman, breaking down all kinds of barriers with none of his disciples the very first time in the Gospel of John. He's going to reveal himself to a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands and now is living with a man who's not even her husband. Tell me he's not a barrier breaker. Tell me he's not a family maker. Tell me that Jesus is not the most significant figure in human history that wants to speak to the heart of every single person. And so she has a little, you know, she does a little posturing. She talks about worship and he says, yeah, 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 I hear you. You want to worship on the mountain. Uh, We worship here in Jerusalem. And then he says this in verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. Has to emanate from the right heart, the right spirit, right spirit, a spirit. And then it needs truth. What is truth? Truth is God's objective standard. It's his point of view on all things related to your life and my life. The problem is that truth is really standardized by our culture rather than looking at God's word and saying, this is the objective standard. And while the Bible isn't popular in culture, it still stands as true. Because while culture might have the right facts, just because your facts are legitimate doesn't mean it's the truth. So he reveals himself because she's like this. She's so overwhelmed. He went from what she was drinking to who she was, he was sleeping with. And he was like, what? And now he's talking about the worship of God. And then, and then she says this. She says, hey, when the Messiah shows up, she's like, time out. She's like, time out. When the Messiah shows up, he'll reveal everything to us. And he says to her, who you're speaking to, I am he.
right? Scripture says that she goes back to her town and she says, hey, I want you to come and see a man who's told me everything about myself. When God touches you that deeply, you can't help but talking about God. The reason that we're not, and I would put myself in this category, no shame in this, no guilt on this, I'm not trying to throw it at you, I'm throwing it at myself. The reason we struggle about Jesus and talking about him and really living for him is because we have forgotten how much he's done for us. We're not in touch. We're not in touch with the guy who says, can I have a drink? Now let me show you a drink. Now let me change your life. We've lost that. We get complacent, we get churchy, we get religious, and we've, it's like when Emily was talking about, did you hear her heart? Man, there was that one thing I was holding on to. That one thing just doesn't happen in your 20s. That happens in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s, in your 70s. You're always holding on to one thing because you're human and he gets you, but he wants you to release it so that he can have you, so that you can have the third barrier breaking practice in our world today. And that is this, that he, that, that he wants to be revealed through you. Reveal Jesus through your life. I've been pounding on this verse for a month and a half now. It's one of my favorite verses, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, because Jesus is the light, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not by primarily what you believe, but what you do, how you behave. As I said last week, it's not that Unbelievers need to behave like believers. It's that believers need to behave like believers. That's the problem. Now, I know a message like this, we can all get fired up, and nobody in principle is going to disagree with this message. I get it. Everybody's going to walk out and say, Pastor, great message. But can I speak to you candidly? Of all colors, of all people, when you walk out of here, you're gonna be encountered by other people who don't hold to the same popular belief and value as you do when it comes to scripture and when it comes to Jesus. And you might be rejected for not being black enough or white enough or brown enough. And when you have to take that stand, you're gonna to have to take it responsibly and kindly in love, but you're gonna to have to do it clearly. And how do you do that? Well, you go back to that video that we saw early in the message and you get real sure that you don't cast judgment, first of all. And secondly... You learn some of the practices that we talked about last week to make sure, hey, hey, when do I need to remain silent? When do I need to speak up? How, Holy Spirit, come, help me, lead me, guide me, direct me in this conversation. Another resource that we wanna give to you is that in the month of February, we're gonna have a four-week small group session. What's the content? The content is around how we have these conversations. Not any one particular subject, but the nuts and bolts of how we have these kinds of conversations because these conversations are critical. You can talk to somebody out, connect, and get hooked up with one of those groups. Because what I've given you today, these three barrier-breaking promises, I mean, look for agreement and and transition to the spiritual and reveal Jesus through your life. Well, we're just beginning to scratch the surface, friends. This is a starting point. But I believe what God is going to do in and through us as a church in the days and weeks and months to come is going to be something that can only be characterized by his character, the supernatural, the beautiful, the sovereign, the glorious God that we love and we serve. His name is Jesus. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Maybe you're here today and you've been wounded and scarred because of prejudice. 
Maybe it's one of the isms. It was your gender, it was your age, it was your class. Or you know what it is like to experience hatred because of the color of your skin, because of racism. You suffered. If you identify with any of these, would you just look up here? I'm gonna start to my right, your left in these two sections. I just wanna see your eyeballs because I wanna pray for you in a moment. But if you've been hurt, you have some trauma related to this, would you look at me? I see you. In the middle section, it's a big section. If you've been hurt, would you look at me? I see you. I see you. I see you. To my left and your right, these two sections, you've been hurt in ism. I see you. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus that the moments of pain, suffering, the words that were said, the actions that were taken, regardless if it was related to color or age or gender, oh God, please come in your merciful grace and bring healing in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now, maybe you're here and You've harbored some of these racist attitudes. You were raised in homes where you were overtly or subtly taught to treat others in certain categories as less than. It would have come through snide comments or jokes, but it was modeled to you and you sort of just inherited this disposition, this way of viewing others. But today, the Holy Spirit is giving you a heart mirror and showing you stuff that doesn't reflect his huge heart for all people. I want to let you know that he gets you too. And he invites you to have a heart transplant today. I'm not going to ask you to do anything in this moment. I just want to pray for you. Father, would you take your surgeon hands and would you take some of those thoughts and attitudes out of, God, would you do invasive heart surgery, I pray, for those who have perpetuated or taken on these views. Oh God, especially as believers, Lord, purify us, please. We want to be ministers of reconciliation in Jesus' name. Now, maybe you're here and and God's huge heart is speaking to you about placing your trust in him because of his unfailing love. And today is your day. Today is your day because you want to recognize that he is the one who gets you. You want to recognize that his love has captured your attention in this moment. And so you want to release your life. You want to release your past, your sin, your guilt, your shame. And you want to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Much like that Samaritan woman did. 2,000 years ago, you want to come to Jesus. You want that living water bubbling up to eternal life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand if you're in the room today? If you're in the room, would you raise your hand? Yes, thank you, I see you. Yes, all the way in the back. Yep, I see you, I see you. Anybody else? Yes, I see you all the way back there. 
you're online, you can just type in, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Can we pray this prayer together? Pathway strong. Let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. For breaking the wall of sin and giving me life. I receive you today. Your salvation. I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my life that I might love you and love others the way you love them. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed with this prayer said, amen, amen. Hey, can we celebrate those individuals today? We celebrate.